is much more complex now than it was, you know, in the web two days, right? Where you just bought equity on a safe and, you know, hope for the best. I do see projects selling equity and tokens, and I, I'm not sure I've ever seen that really done well. With Brain Trust, we kept it simple, as you say, it was it was tokens from the beginning because there is no equity. There's no Brain Trust Inc. Brain Trust is a public good. It's a you know, it's it's a decentralized network, and you know, the the token is the useful piece of the network, right? It's the thing that controls the fate of the network. And if you make your living on the network, you should want to accumulate and, and use those tokens to exercise your point of view. This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Bandless Conversations podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. These conversations help us make sense of what's coming next with platform business models, the dynamics of marketplaces, business ecosystems, and much more. Join me, my regular co-host Sina Heikila, and other guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. Hello, everybody. So, just a quick introduction to today's uh, conversation with uh, Adam Jackson uh, from Brain Trust. This is the second conversation we have with uh, uh, someone from Brain Trust uh, core team because uh, Brain Trust is such a pioneering project that uh, is paving the way for our understanding of Web3 and uh, is doing it, uh, you know, generating staggering market traction in a space that uh, it's very familiar to our listeners as well, because we're talking about uh, basically freelancing jobs, marketplace. And it's extremely interesting. I mean, this conversation was due because Adam, that is a co-founder of Brain Trust, but prior to founding it, was a co-founder of Doctor on Demand, a popular video telemedicine application, but also other ventures that, uh, you know, essentially invested in more than 100 companies. So it's a very experienced executive and and startup uh, founder. So why it was important to have him on board uh, after the uh, episode we had with uh, Gabe Luna Ossaseski, another of the founders uh, of of Brain Trust, Uh, because essentially uh, we wanted to double click uh, in the, um, let's say, institutional complexity that uh, uh, it's behind Web3 initiatives. We, We recently wrote a blog post as well on our blog called uh, Bootstrapping uh, uh, User-Owned uh, Network uh, with Web3, where we used uh, Brain Trust and other projects as case studies. So th- what, what is the point? Uh, launching these initiatives, it's, uh, uh, it's a space in flux, right? It's something new that we are still understanding. We are used to building companies through startups, uh, corporates, LTDs, where Investors can invest, uh, get equity in exchange of the investments and look for revenues. Here we're talking about something different. Sometimes these networks are more similar to public goods than actual companies. So there is a completely different investor perspective and a completely different founder perspective. And these are the things that we start, we try to explore in, in Brain Trust uh, case with, with, with Adam. So, a few pointers that you may want to be in, uh, attentive to uh, during the conversation. So, for example, we spoke about this uh, fee converter uh, thing that uh, is related to brain trust. And uh, uh, this is essentially a mechanism that uh, brain trust adopted uh, 
following a vote of the token holders. So this is also an example of how governance happens uh, in these uh, contexts. So basically, following a vote from token holders, they decided that all the fees that the uh, platform pays uh, to participants, uh, essentially the business model of the platform, so this take rate that the platform takes from the contracts that are signed between the companies and the developers, uh, this money basically is used to buy back uh, the token from the market and thus appreciate the token. Why I'm underlining this in, in this introduction? Because this is a clear example of how the token value appreciates. And uh, uh, it's important to understand this because when investors invest in networks and they, they, they get these tokens back, there are complex ways that these tokens appreciate in value and do thus making the case for investors to, to invest uh, in, in, the first, uh, in the first place. So, uh, I mean, uh, I think it would be great for uh, listeners to uh, listen to this podcast after uh, having listened to the podcast with Gabe, potentially after reading our blog, uh, Bootstrapping User-Owned Networks uh, with Web3, And uh, in general, I think you need a little bit of familiarity with these topics uh, to appreciate this conversation 100%. But this is massively important. This is how we're going to build networks in the future. Uh, As Adam underscored a few times during the conversation, he believes uh, that user-owned networks are going to be more valuable than investor-owned networks. And this is an important point you want to understand. Yeah, and I think that that's, um, like you said, there's a lot of technicalities to kind of understand in, in these conversations and really to understand the detailed workings of it. And they, I think both of them, they make a great job in explaining and so on. And and actually, when you sort of step back from all these technical details, the, the principles are uh, super interesting. And like you said, this is the new wave of marketplaces. So this is the new, and it's a completely, in the end, different model, right? So they... This idea that uh, you really create the um, ownership by the people who join the, the network, so the talents in this case, the freelancer, they have the power to propose new things for governance and, and really decide the future fate of the network. And the fact that the founders, they don't even have a, a central control. like they, they are just participants in the end in this ecosystem that they have created from the beginning. And let's say the... The founding entity is a non-profit, right? So there's the, the, the incentive model is completely different from Web2 marketplaces. This is something that Adam also really, really explained, that the, the, you're in the game for a completely different reason. And yeah, this is going to revolutionize basically how, how those new models are built and change a lot of assumptions that we have. So yeah, very interesting conversations. Enjoy it and uh, stay tuned for more cases, right? Because I think this is a hot space that we are still researching. So enjoy the conversation. Hello, everybody. Uh, we're back at the Boundless Conversations uh, podcast. Uh, today with me, there is my usual co-host, uh, Stina Hekila. Hello, everybody. And uh, with us, we have Adam Jackson. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Adam, thank you very much for for joining us, and uh, we are super excited to do this kind of double click on Brain Trust. 
with you tonight. Um, we had Gabe on the podcast, I think, uh, maybe a couple of months ago, uh, and we introduced uh, Bain Trust to our listeners. And after that date, uh, we have been uh, seeing the coverage of Brain Trust increasing even more. We, we, we got this very now famous post by Paki McCormick. But in general, everybody is talking about Brain Trust. That's my impression. You know, when I speak with people, everybody's going to refer to Brain Trust at some point. And I, I think it's, it's very interesting because you guys are definitely pioneering uh, the space that, uh, let's say, interconnects Web3 with real-world work and uh, invoices and services and that kind of stuff, right? So I think uh, uh, that's the exciting part. And uh, I, I definitely suggest uh, the people... Uh, listening to this podcast to, if you didn't, uh, go back first and listen to Gabe's and uh, then come back to this. So uh, let's start from, from you know, an initial uh, big question, maybe, that is the one that brought us to record the second episode, which is uh, really about for you to frame a bit the, let's say, the story, the steps that led you uh, to build this very complex uh, institutional uh, system, you know, made of uh, now six uh, collaborating nodes, I think seven, because another one joined lately, if I'm not wrong. Uh, so uh, these nodes, the foundation, uh, the people from the network. So if you can maybe give us an overview of who is contributing value now to this system and how these value flows are being compensated, are being attached to governance rights. That's a kind of initial framing that I would like to ask you uh, for our listener to start with. Yeah, absolutely right. Let's see if we can make what seems complex, you know, sound a little bit simpler. You know, at, at the very high level, Brain Trust is a decentralized talent network that exists to connect talent in our case, that's developers, designers, product managers, et cetera, with clients that need them, right? And and we host the transaction. It could be a small uh, one-month contract or it could be an ongoing contract. Uh, those jobs are paid for in fiat, usually U.S. dollars or euros. And then where the brain trust token comes in is it's the incentive and governance mechanism for the network. So most Web2 marketplaces are actually for-profit corporations that operate the marketplace, right? And their job is to extract as much revenue as possible from the two sides of the marketplace. That's usually in the form of transaction fees, right? A percentage of the dollars flowing through their network, the operator will try to take as their fee. And what this does is it creates misaligned incentives, right, between the for-profit network operator and the folks who make their living on the network. So the whole idea about Web3 or user-owned networks are instead of a for-profit entity operating the marketplace, the community that makes their living on the marketplace also owns and operates it. And when you have that new paradigm, what we call user-owned, you now don't have the misalignment of incentives. You know, if, if the network is operated and owned by its users, they don't have an incentive to charge themselves high fees, right? And so fees can drop to zero for talent as they have on brain trust. And then a flat 10% fee charged to the clients, which is really just meant to sustain the network, right? To sustain the protocol development. And so that's kind of the, the first layer. So we'd call instead of, you know, instead of brain trust being a for-profit corporate entity, it's actually just a public good. Right, what we'd call in economic terms a public good, something that exists 
not to seek profit, but to, you know, create value for the people who make their living on it. So drilling one layer down from there, we have this concept on brain trust called of nodes. It's a, it's a bit less formal of a description of nodes than for instance, like a Bitcoin node or an Ethereum node, right? Those nodes run a specific kind of software and they have to do so with a certain type of uptime. And, you know, they're hopefully going to get rewarded with block rewards, you know, for doing that work. No, a node on brain trust is very different. It, it's typically a, a corporate entity that is providing some kind of critical service to, to the brain trust network. Uh, and those nodes are then, you know, rewarded in some way, you know, with tokens and the token, you know, the primary use for our token is to use it to vote, uh, to control the network, to propose new new amendments, new changes to the protocol, and and then one token, one vote to to vote them up or down. One one thing I wanted to ask you instinctively was: uh, Can you make a list or describe what are the services that these services providers provide to the network, right, to the to the public good? Can you make some examples? I, I, you know, I, I'm thinking of running the platform or doing software development, doing marketing. Uh, are these the things that you you're talking about? Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, in no particular order. Some of the services would be uh, fiat payment processing. So we have several nodes that you know have Stripe and TransferWise and PayPal accounts that help clients and talent you know tran- transfer money in fiat, right? So that you, you know a decentralized network can't have a Stripe account, right? A, a company has to have a Stripe account. So right. so some of the nodes have provide that service. Other nodes are development nodes. So they create the software and host it on. Uh, different cloud instances or, or another node of ours writes the smart contracts and makes sure they're audited and security inspected and handles the Ethereum connection to the network. Uh, another node called Muses runs the Brain Trust Academy. And that's just like her job is to, you know, build an educational aspect of the ecosystem so people can onboard and grow within Brain Trust more efficiently. And then there's you know, com- what we call commercial nodes. So um, the seventh one, Kunai, that just joined is a good example of this. These nodes bring clients, right? Clients in, in our world generally don't onboard themselves, right? So like a big company like Porsche or Nestle or Nike or Goldman Sachs, you need to get through procurement and you need to have you know the proper insurance and that sort of thing. So the commercial nodes will uh, help with that sort of activity. So th- those are just, just some of the examples. And, and uh, how does the system govern itself? So who takes decisions? How work is allocated to the service providers? I know the service providers are now paid in brain trust, right? And when it all started, it was a little bit different. So maybe we could explore essentially the transition, right? In, in terms of both decision-making from you and Gabe starting to raising capital into now with seven nodes, you know, every node producing a certain uh, service, being paid in brain trust, the fee converter. Can you maybe just help us to connect uh, these uh, institutions that, that we have now, exploring a little bit how this institution takes decisions and executes with uh, the process that led us to this? Sure. Yeah, I mean, so it's a it's now a decentralized network. So there is no central coordination of efforts. Each node can contribute in its own way with, uh, without permission generally from the other nodes, right? So, you know, if one of the commercial nodes wants to add a client and um, that client needs some kind of specific feature built so they can invoice talent, 
uh, or talent can invoice them properly. They just do it. They just write it, right? They get, they get it done. They don't need to call me or Gabe and they, you know, the code gets committed and, you know, there's a process for that. As far as resource management goes, I mean, there's, you know, there's a large treasury that includes dollars and brain trust tokens. There's a, uh, a Swiss association that manages some of the treasury and some of the treasury is managed on chain in the DAO uh, through token voting. So participate and you, you don't have to be a node to contribute. I mean, in fact, the majority of contributors to brain trust are, are unaffiliated with a node. They could just be independent folks or a small agency or whatever. A node just means you have sort of a specific contract with treasury for, for payment. But we have, we just launched this big grants program where anyone can apply for a grant and get paid in usually some mixture of dollars and tokens, brain trust tokens to build something. Uh, and then the, the smaller version of that is the bounty program, right? So maybe we need some articles written about something like the fee converter. There's a bounty for helping explain the fee converter to the, to the general public. So that's kind of how treasury gets managed and how the protocol grows. Um, you asked about the fee converter. This is a, this is a relatively new feature. This was, you know, interestingly proposed by the community voted on snapshot and passed by the community and then implemented um, completely by the community. M myself and Gabe actually had no involvement in this. And what the fee converter does, the community decided that the 10% fee that clients pay on every successful invoice, you know, it's paid in cash. The community decided, well, if we keep paying referral bonuses and other you know grants and that, that kind of thing out of treasury treasury will ultimately deplete itself so we should have a way to replenish uh tokens into the treasury which is that's stored in our on our on-chain dow the brain trust dow and so this proposal basically said that the 10 percent fee collected by the commercial nodes from the clients needs to be sent to a new smart contract called fee converter and this fee converter takes that those dollars and goes out in the open market and buys brain trust tokens and deposits those tokens into the DAO. And you can see all this on chain, by the way, it's all completely transparent. If you go to info.braintrust.com, you'll see links to Etherscan to see all this stuff. It's actually really cool. And then those tokens get stacked up in the DAO and then token holders can vote, propose and vote on how those tokens in the DAO should be managed. That's completely community controlled. One token, one vote. These fees that Brain Trust, uh, this take rate, right? This ten percent take rate that goes into the fee converter and gets translated into Brain Trust. Does it get back to the node that have been doing the commercial uh, work, or, or how is the commercial node being rewarded otherwise? Yeah, good question. So no, the ten percent now it, it passes through the commercial node, but it goes straight into the fee converter, buys tokens, and those tokens go to the DAO. So the node is not keeping that 10% anymore. There's two ways, however, that the node could be compensated in that situation. One is the referral fee. So let's say this node brought the client, let's say Nike's the client. That, that node uh, could be entitled to one or 2% referral fee paid in brain trust tokens. So so because the node brought that client and that client's transacting, the protocol is actually paying that node the referral fee. And that, that all happens programmatically. Um, the second way a node might monetize this relationship is if they bring, so Kunai is a good example, our seventh node that just joined. 
they brought a lot of specialized talent and a few big clients to the network and they're paying their, the 10% fee. And they brought, you know, Citigroup and a few other big banks and, and they have, you know, hundreds of really amazing talent that, that all joined brain trust. And so they're paying the 10% fee, but then they're going to, they're going to be able to um, have an option to acquire tokens at a discount as one of the rewards for being a node. And then another one is BrainTrust gets so many inbound client requests that Kunai can now grow its business as a software development firm by you know, servicing these new clients that come to the BrainTrust homepage and, and say, hey, we want to hire talent as well, right? So it's this kind of cool, like you, you join the network as a node, you know, you, if you're a software agency, you get to grow your business by getting new clients, you know, almost like you know, if you're a soft, if you're a sandwich shop franchise, would you rather be independent or would you rather be Subway, right? Because Subway is going to bring all your customers to you, and so you get to grow your business and, and also um, acquire tokens by being a node. Right. I have another quick question. Uh, you you mentioned a Swiss association, right? And I know that there is also a foundation in the in the in the ecosystem of institutions that you created. How are they related? Is the same thing you mentioned? And in general, what is the role of these associations and foundations? These no profits in the system. Yeah, the, the the foundation basically just minted the token. That was their job. You know, to set up as a nonprofit is to to create the brain trust token and, and initially distribute it. The, the association in Switzerland, it's a trade group. It's called the Ownership Economy Association. It's a bunch of companies and individuals that believe in growing and furthering user-owned networks, Web3 networks. And so it's a, you know, it's a group. I'm a member of it. There's, there's a bunch of others across Europe and Africa uh, and Asia that are, you know, it's just, just about promoting you know, web three economies. You you said, for example, the nodes are independent, right? But who makes it coherent? How, who makes brain trust coherent then? How is, you know, how do you share a decision-making space as nodes and, uh, you know, because not everything become, happens through, can happen through proposals, I guess, I guess, right? So through network proposals. And maybe you can also mention some of the things, you know, including the fee converter, the creation of the fee converter that was, uh, you know, prompted by the community. But how does this ecosystem, this institutional ecosystem that you created, where you have these seven companies, uh, the foundation, the uh, association, how this is, stays uh, coherent in terms of strategy, execution, and so on? Yeah, I mean, they, they are all independent. Um, uh, Gabe and I only uh, are associated with one of the nodes. The others are, are, you know, complete independent entities all over the world. You know, we coordinate, you know, we're, we're friends and colleagues and folks that have come together for a common goal. And that is to make the brain trust network bigger and attract more clients and attract more talent and build a, a bigger, better ecosystem. Um, and so the coordination is simpler than you'd think, right? It's like Zoom calls and <laughs> Google Docs and things like that. You know, there's some things we need to coordinate on and some things we can we can contribute independently to. I don't have regular communication with, with most of the nodes, right? They're, they're all incentivized to do their part and uh, make the ecosystem more valuable for all of us. That's really fascinating. The last bit that I would like to clear up a bit, you know, maybe is the capital, the role of capital with this. Because I know that you collected 
uh, I mean, I may be wrong, but my my impression from what I've read that you collected the initial capital through essentially two rounds, one uh, seed round uh, and then uh, some kind of series A round, 24 million or something like that. Uh, and then uh, you moved into la- a larger round, uh, you know, some other intermediate steps like, you know, the coin sale uh, or um, some other things, but mainly through this 100 million fundraise uh, with uh, Kuchu and Tiger, if I'm not wrong. So what is the role of capital into that? Why these investors are investing into brain trust token uh, since this is not security? What's your thesis about how these patterns are changing the way net networks uh, get uh, investments uh, to create these public goods? Yeah, absolutely. This is an interesting topic. The big idea we had when we started this was user-owned networks will grow faster and be more valuable than investor-owned networks. Now, that is not to say there's no role for investors, right? That just means we don't think investor-controlled corporate marketplaces are the future. We think user-controlled marketplaces are the future. And so, um, the role of investors in in a network like Brain Trust is really to bootstrap construction of the software, the platform, the smart contracts, and and the economy itself. So to finance this thing, you could have done a public token sale and then sell more tokens to raise more funds to pay people to pay developers, etc. And it's it's sort of a tough way to to finance a project, I think. So instead. We didn't do a big public sale here. We, we we raised money from private investors. A lot of VCs are involved, and that money is used to build the platform and today to pay you know to pay most of the salaries on the on some of the core teams. So the network has a chance to grow and attract more talent on its own, right? Without you know us having to like constantly worry about selling tokens, right? We don't we don't sell tokens right now. And so, you know, that, that it's a great way to sort of bootstrap a network until the network effects are strong enough to where contributors want to just build on their own, which is where we are now, right? Like you see, if you follow us on Discord or Telegram or Twitter, you see tons and tons of people just contributing things on their own. Some of them are through the bounty or grant program, but others are just building things because they want to see them, right? And it's not... You know, it's not us asking for them or paying people for them. There's plenty of that too, but you know, we've gotten to the point now where where it's a healthy ecosystem of of people contributing to Brain Trust. Well, yeah, I I was curious about uh, some things about the nodes as well. When thinking about if there are any limits to how sort of big they can grow, I know you have like one token, one vote, so it's not let's say democratic in the sense one member, one one vote. But are there any? checks on how big one entity can grow in your network or, you know, how, how do you think about that? Yeah. Good, good question, Stina. Um, we don't have any safeguards right now. We, it is one token, one vote where, as you can imagine, you know, you could have some sort of a, a plutocratic entity come up that has, you know, a lot of control because they've acquired a lot of tokens. And, you know, we, we think about this vector once in a while, like, what if some hedge fund comes along and accumulates a lot of tokens and then proposes something in governance that says, hey, we're going to upgrade the smart contracts and say, instead of 10% client success fee, it's going to be 15%. Oh, and um, all of it has to be sent to this address every time it's collected, <laughs> right? Like no more fee converter. And so you can imagine in a attack like that, 
I think, you know, one of the most interesting things about crypto networks is this is open source software. The community is very transparent. Everyone sort of knows who the other people are and where they are. And, you know, I think if, if an attack like that happened where the economics got hijacked in the network, it would be pretty straightforward to, you know, fork the network and, and for the other token holders to come over and, and basically just start brain trust too, right? Almost like Ethereum and Ethereum classic. And the clients obviously would want to come wherever the talent is and the talent, if the talent felt like they were being stolen from, you know, that they would just kind of copy the network and, and start over. So, you know, that's a, that's a hypothetical. I, you know, hope, I hope we don't see play out, but it's one that makes me not as worried about sort of the plutocratic one token, one vote angle. That said, I think there are some really interesting experiments. We're going to start running around quadratic voting that I think, you know, Vitalik has been a thought leader on and, and the guys at Gitcoin, I think are, are doing some really cool things with. So um, I would call what we're doing right now, like not that sophisticated. And I, I think there's a lot of room to improve. Yeah, I mean, you know, in general, as the system grows, right, as this public good grows, uh, it would be harder, right, to attack it through that vector, no? because you have to buy, maybe a brain trust is going to get more valuable as, as, a, as a token, essentially, right? Exactly. It would, be, it would be very expensive to do this right now. Not impossible, but the bigger the network gets, the, the harder these attacks are. Right. I, I, I was talking to today with, with some friend around uh, the topic of, you know, comparing uh, uh, tokens that are pre-minted, uh, like in your case, uh, and uh, other approaches to token release, like, for example, uh, augmented bonding curve uh, in the case or other approaches. And uh, I know that, for example, in the fee converter context, uh, there is a, a large question around the liquidity as well, right? Because as the fee converter goes and buys uh, brain trust on, on, on the market, uh, it needs to find these brain trust uh, liquids on on on, dex, on dexes uh, like you know Uniswap or something like that. Do you see that it's important because a lot of people when when they're launching these tokenomics projects they kind of become obsessed about the the design of the tokenomics, right? And I must say uh, my impression is uh, we don't understand much about this yet. Uh, instead, uh, I've seen that you guys have approached this in a much more um, I want to say much simpler way, right? You, you have pre-minted 250 million, if I'm not wrong. Uh, and, and then the, the fee converter came up just from the community and completely changed the, the tokenomics and the value model of the token. So somehow uh, my question for you is, do you see uh, in the future a broader role of the technicalities around uh, 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 creating these tokens, so maybe with multiple token releases or other patterns, or it's just about just having a token involving people and genuinely, like you do, uh, seem to embrace this community-owned uh, perspective? Yeah, th look, this is what makes this space so fun, right? Like, I'm sure this is why you guys have your podcast and this is why um, I'm an active, you know, investor and community member in, in so many different projects. Um, we are witnessing in real time just global innovation around token economies, token utility. Brain trust economy is actually pretty simple, right? It's you, you get the token, you earn the token by helping the network. That's usually by making referrals or screening talent, right? We don't we don't require our users to buy tokens. I don't I don't think that's appropriate, at least for our category. The the clients. You know, now since the community upgraded this, you know, the clients 
fees buy tokens in the open market and to replenish treasury. I think that's a cool recycling factor, you know, that, that, that they thought of and implemented completely without the core teams. And the, the token, like, doesn't matter what the cash value is, like it's one token, one vote. And, and that seems to work so far. I think we're seeing other interesting models. I just love watching the experiments. Like you see these two token economies starting to pop up and, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally sure, you know, I, I, I that'll be like the, you know, as straightforward as it needs to be going forward. But I just love, I just love all the experimentation in in this space. Right. And, and what, what do you think about the perspective of the typical investor, right? So what, what are they, what are they seeing uh, available in investing in a, in a token? Uh, for example, I, I was looking into uh, the approach that another project had to this, uh, especially, more specifically, the project called Demo, where there uh, you have uh, one company that is starting to weave this network and has been raising money uh, both for the company and for the token, right? Both in equity and tokens, essentially. So it's a mixed approach. Instead, you guys have just raised money for the token. So, you know, actually the node didn't sell any equity to the investor, right? Just to clarify. So what is that? What Can you maybe expand a bit of what is your perception in terms of what an investor values in investing into such things? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, it's much more complex now than it was, you know, in the web two days, right? Where you just bought equity on a safe and you know, hope for the best. I do see projects selling equity and tokens, and I, I'm not sure I've ever seen that really done well. Actually, other than Compound, you know, Compound Finance, you know, they had a they have Compound Inc, which sold preferred shares, and then the Compound Token, which they just gave half of it to their uh, cap table, and then the other half to their users. I thought that was like a really smart and simple and fair way of distributing tokens to users and investors. That's probably the only one I can think of that's done tokens and equity. I think it gets messy if one of them becomes more valuable than the other and you have to negotiate a conversion rate between the two. And uh, that's where you see lots of disagreements and potentially lawsuits. And so, I, I, you know, with Braintrust, we kept it simple. As you say, it was, it was tokens from the beginning because there is no equity. There's no Braintrust Inc. Braintrust is a public good. It's a, you know, it's, it's a decentralized network. And, you know, the, the token is the useful piece of the network, right? It's the thing that controls the fate of the network. And if you make your living on the network, you know, you, you should want to accumulate and, and use those tokens to exercise your, your point of view. So a pretty simple model for us. Um, you know, other investors, for some, for kind of pick and shovel businesses, you know, like the anchorages and Coinbase's of the world, it's all equity, right? Those are their SaaS companies. For protocols that could change the way two-sided marketplaces operate, you know, like a Uniswap or a Compound or a Brain Trust, uh, you know, probably the token makes more sense. <laughs> but, well, it's interesting that you refer to Brain Trust, uh, make, you know, making these parallels, because for me, it's a bit different, right? You spoke about protocols, but Brain Trust doesn't really, it's not just really a protocol, right? It, there's a lot also that happens uh, beyond the, the basic, la the domain description layer. It's much more action, much more execution. Uh, uh, so, for example, in Demo, when, as I understand, you know, and, and I'm not even sure that all this information is available public, but I spoke with someone from the team, and, uh, um, you know, they raise money both for the protocol and for the company because the company is supposed to do some work in the ecosystem, right? So in that case, it's a data broker, for example. And, and, I, and I find this very interesting, you know, because I'm thinking of talking with people, with companies that want to launch these ecosystems. 
And just entering into this mindset, right, into this mental model of I'm starting an ecosystem, but over the long term, I'm not going to profit from rents. I'm going to profit for the work that I contribute to the ecosystem. So it's like you, as a company, you build the ecosystem because it's going to be good for your business. And at the same time, you have to embrace this really cooperative mindset, you know, because it needs to be good for everybody's business that wants to compete fairly and provide, you know, value in the system. So, I mean, it's a completely mindset change versus the traditional approach that an investor or an early stage entrepreneur may have uh, to, at some point, extract some rent from the system. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I, I think, you know, Brain Trust was a simpler value prop. It's not about rent extraction. It's about bringing together buyer and seller in a two-sided marketplace, which party, you know, those two parties couldn't have been brought together in a, in a high fee web two marketplace, right? It's about, it's really, it's, it's about using disruptive economics to grow a market. I mean, that's what brain trust is always about. It's not, there's no like discount cash flow model that I'm trying to get a good multiple on so I can, you know, sell my preferred stock for more money someday. Right. It's just that that was just never my motivation as a founder, um, my motivation has always been to just to prove that user-owned networks grow faster and are more valuable than investor-owned networks. Yeah, I'm curious to if we could go a bit into what type of talent and and maybe what you see coming up. Because uh, I mean, I I think if I'm not wrong, so you, you have some specific niches or some specific sectors uh, of of talents like uh, software developers, designers, and and so on. And so I wanted to hear if, like, what is the variety, first of all, and then if you see some kind of evolution or if that's completely left to the network to kind of self-guide itself or uh, or if you see this more as a sort of societal level transformation that you somehow would like to see expand to new fields, to new professions. And yeah, just curious to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a, a couple of good points in there to unpack. So let me let me sort of go in reverse order. So so like starting at the very top, like you mentioned, kind of societal impact. So I don't, you know, I know you guys are in Europe and your corporate culture and whatever might be a little different than ours. It certainly couldn't be worse than ours. You know, people don't like corporate America. Like mo- most people, you know, unless I guess you're at the very top, like it's, you know, corporations warehouse talent and then they, you know, grossly underutilize them. And when they do utilize them, they sort of, they have to work on things that they're not specialized to work on or that they don't want to work on. And now starting next month, you know, they're forcing everyone to come back to the offices, you know, in this sort of anachronistic corporate America kind of BS. And so, you know, the re- there's two main reasons people don't leave corporate America and, and become their own boss, right? Become their own freelancer, kind of a solopreneur. The two reasons are one, they don't want to like have to pitch clients all day, right? Like, you know, you know, they don't want to turn themselves into an agency, right? Most people don't like having to pitch and sell and whatever, right? They just, you know, finding work as an independent has traditionally been hard. The second thing is that this sounds dumb, especially from, from your standpoint in Europe, because you guys have figured this out, but health insurance is the second reason people don't leave their corporate jobs. And so my goal with brain trust has always been like, let's create a marketplace owned and controlled by talent where those two problems are solved and people can leave their corporate jobs that they hate. They can work wherever they want for whomever they want when they want to at a rate of their choosing. 
So there's no more commuting. There's no more being told what to do, like by a boss that you don't want to work on. There's no more consulting firm taking half of your money, you know, as their fee. And there's no more schlepping to an office, like sitting on a highway or a subway. And so Braintrust solves those two problems by, well, first, like we have basically unlimited client demand, right? There's way, way, way more jobs on Braintrust than there are talent. And, you know, in the, in the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of pent up demand. Um, so you don't have to pitch yourself. You just have to set up your talent profile and get verified and just bid on jobs that look interesting to you. And, and whatever your rate is, like if that's competitive, you'll, you'll get it. No fees. Uh, and the second thing is health insurance. And, you know, we're, we're just, we're just rolling out two different health insurance partners. One of them is a crypto partner called Opolis. And, um, and so now there's no barriers, right? So, so that's part one, Stina, sorry for the long answer. Like people shouldn't have to like go to college and go into debt and then like have a job that they hate, right? It's just not, it's not right. And so I hope that that's like our long-term societal impact. Um, as far as categories go, you know, we're in IT right now, as you say, and, you know, IT is a, it's a narrow, but extremely deep category. There's something like $1.3 trillion a year of global IT outsourcing. We can never leave that category and brain trust could get really, really big, but I know that brain trust will ex expand into other categories. We've had law firms approach us. We've had accounting firms, compliance firms, basically like anyone who makes their living as a knowledge worker in front of a computer can eventually, you know, can, will, should eventually use a network like Brain Trust, if not Brain Trust itself, to create, you know, these these you know dynamic labor markets. Um, it won't be me. I'm not I'm not a lawyer or an accountant, but I know people who are who are already thinking about building this these categories out on Brain Trust. Adam, I would like to ask you maybe what would you do differently so that maybe we can focus a bit on your lesson learned from kickstarting this network. So let's start from there. You know, because, you know, it seems that you have been such a pioneering, doing such a pioneering work that I guess people would like to know, uh, you know, what they should avoid. Well, look, I'll, t I'll tell you that I don't, I don't have any like real slam dunk answers off the top of my head because I'll say like we've been pretty lucky here. You know, when, when Gabe and I started the network, we were pitching, you know, remote engineering teams to companies in the U.S. that wanted in-office talent, right? There's this like, and there you can still see it today. There's this anachronistic thinking in corporate America where they want people butts in seats. You know, they want to look over their shoulder, and that's just like that's just dinosaur behavior, and it's you know it'll go extinct eventually. But then the COVID lockdown happened, and remote work was the new normal, and that made brain trust go from a nice to have to to the new normal, and so. And that's not going back, right? I mean, we're, we're lucky to have that change. So look, if it weren't for that, we'd be, you know, we wouldn't be growing as fast as we are now. There's like little things along the way, like, you know, when you're launching a token, like, you know, make sure like you're compensating people fairly with that token. Like we, we had some mistakes where we, we were paying people in static numbers of tokens and instead of dollar denominated numbers of tokens. And so, you know, that resulted in, you know, some gross overpayments, but like, you know, big deal, right? It's that's you. So you give a little bit too much to your community and, you know, no harm, no foul, right? They're all, they're all good people. And, and, you know, we're happy to have everybody. So little, little mistakes here and there, but um, you know, I just think like keeping the incentives aligned between you know, the people who operate the network, the nodes, the, the folks who make their living on it, the clients, like keeping everyone on the same team, right? That's just, that's the North Star. And, 
you know, I think we've done a reasonably good job of that and we miss step here and there, but, you know, be honest about your mistakes and keep moving. So final, uh, final reflection, uh, what, what's coming up for, for brain trust? Uh, uh, what do you think? And, and maybe also what's coming up for the industry and society more in general. I mean, you spoke about knowledge workers, but I'm talking about, uh, your impression with regards to how this technology is changing society, like the printing press did, uh, several hundred years ago. Yeah, look, I think the big impact of this technology on society is that it's giving literal control back to people who trade their time for money, right? Like it, it, it's making the labor class almost merge into the investor class, if you think about it that way. But it's not necessarily about necessarily wealth creation. It's, a, it's about like, it's really about control. You know, it's like if the old way is... You leave college in debt, you still don't know anything, you go work for a consulting firm, you have to go to their office, you, you have to work on the clients they assign you to, and then you give 75% of your income to them, right? <laughs> That's the old way. I was there. Yeah, me too, me too. I mean, it's that we, all of us in this generation sort of started there at, at some point. The new way is hopefully you don't go to college, right? Because college is a horrendous waste of money in the United States. Right. In Europe, it's free. So good for you guys. <laughs> we, we haven't figured that out yet. It's still, it's still a criminal empire in the United States. Uh, one that pays no income tax or property tax, amazingly. Figure out what you love to work on. Learn how to do it better than anyone on YouTube for free. Then join a network. Maybe it's Brain Trust. Maybe it's something else where you can find clients who need what you do and then control the platform by earning tokens and don't pay any fees, right? Just pay your income tax and control your destiny. You know, like don't, don't commute, don't sit in an office uh, and don't give 75% of your money away, you know? And so look that to me, that's what web three is all about. Brain trust is a very small sliver of that story, but this is why blockchain matters. Right. I know it's easy to make fun of the technology and there's plenty of scammers and other you know, pieces of shit trying to trying to take advantage of people. But that's not what the technology is about. Right? The technology is about personal freedom. And so that's the future, I think. Right. And, and you know, the little things Brain Trust is doing this year, it's interesting. Fine. But like I this is why I get excited. I, this is why I think, you know, the Web3 movement is, is so big and important right now. And what's coming up for you guys? Something exciting that, that you may be sharing or, or working on? Yeah, I mean, you know, it sounds kind of funny, but like the health insurance thing I mentioned is a big deal. Like that, that opens the gates for many, many more millions of Americans to leave corporate America and come over and, you know, be, have health care just like everybody else. You know, there's some interesting discussions going on in the Brain Trust Discord about what to build next and, You know, the grants program just got off the ground. So I think we're going to see a lot of interesting folks proposing grants to expand brain trust into different, you know, maybe we'll expand into Asia Pacific and maybe there'll be new category expansion dimension. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, not, it's not up to me anymore. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mere observer now. And, um, and I really love that. That's great. That's great. I mean, Adam, thanks so much. Where should people uh, connect with you on the internet and get informed of what you're up to, reading your, you know, listening to you or reading your writings? Yeah, sure. I'm, um, you know, I'm pretty active kind of on Twitter um, at Adam Jackson SF. And then um, Brain Trust is just braintrust.com. And then 
hit our Discord, which is linked off the bottom of brandtrust.com. There's a, just an awesome community on there. I think that's how all of us connected initially. Lots of smart people sharing ideas on there. Thank you so much. Uh, that was worth as a double clicking on, on Brain Trust. Such a great project, uh, such a great project. And you, Gabe, uh, such a great people. I, I'm really thankful for your time. Thank you so much. This, uh, this was really interesting. Well, I appreciate both of you uh, taking the time and, and let me explain. Now, hopefully some of the complexity is a little simpler now. But uh, I, I think we did a good job. I think we did a good job in clarifying some of the key points that I was uh, very fuzzy about. And I think uh, other people as well. So I'm sure that we're adding some value here. Thank you so much to our listeners. Catch up soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boundless Conversations podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media, review our show on any major distribution platform, and don't forget to subscribe for new episode releases. Stay tuned on boundless.io for our latest news and updates. There, you can also find our free design tools, opportunities to learn how to use them, and connect directly with us to use our help in designing your platform strategies and organizational transformations for the age of ecosystems. We also want to thank Walter Mobilia at Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.